For our sermon text today, you can turn to the beginning of the Bible. Again, we're still in chapter 1 of Genesis, although we will be finishing the chapter today. Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 through 31. Genesis 1, starting in verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. Our Father, we thank you for revealing your will and your works to us for our good. We pray that you would use it for our good, that you would give us understanding of your word, uh, that you would stir us up by the remembrance of these truths, uh, that you would help us to live before you in a way that is uh, pleasing to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. We've been going through chapter 1 of Genesis, the creation of all things, and we've been on the sixth day for a few Sundays now as we've looked at the creation of uh, mankind in particular. Mankind was created on the sixth day, sixth day in the image of God. He's created in the image of God. That means, as we said, to represent God on the earth and to resemble God, especially in knowledge, righteousness, holiness, and dominion. We also looked at how mankind was created as male and female. In these verses today, we see the commission that God gives mankind. We've seen how, how God made mankind, what, what mankind is, and now we see the commission that he gives to mankind. By making man in his image, making man male and female, Mankind is prepared for this mission. And then with this blessing of God, mankind is empowered and commanded to fill and to rule the earth and to do so as God's image, uh, to his glory, as those who are reflecting and representing him. So the main point here is to to fill and rule the earth as God's image, uh, to his glory. This passage, especially verse 28, has often been called uh, the creation mandate, or the cultural mandate, or the dominion mandate. And since there's so many terms, I decided to come up with one of my own, the creation commission, uh, since we use that word for the great commission in in Matthew. Uh, But it is an important uh, commission uh, or mandate that is given to mankind. Notice, as you look at it, that this commission is both a blessing and a command. 
Um, and God blessed them, and God said to them. I think the blessing is sometimes neglected a little bit as we look at this passage. It's both an authorization, they are able to do these things, and it's a charge that they have responsibility to do these things. Um, it is an investment with power and a duty. Uh, that they are able to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it is from the blessing of God. But it's also a responsibility that they have, that they ought to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. It's a privilege and a responsibility. God appoints them as he appointed the sun and moon in their place with their uh, rule over the day and night. As he appointed everything in its place, he's giving mankind now its, its place, it, it, empowering them and charging them. But before I go further, I want to first address its relevance. This was given to mankind a long time ago, and a few things have happened. Uh, pretty major things, right? This was before sin was in the world. This was before the gospel was needed. Um, does this creation uh, commission, um, is that still relevant uh, for mankind to date? Uh, the commission can be considered through the, from the transition from creation to fall to redemption. Mankind was blessed, as we see at the beginning. Uh, he was cursed in the fall. But he is being blessed again in salvation. In creation, notice that as man was created, God did not wait to bless man until man had earned God's blessing. Uh, God did not say, well, I'll wait for a couple weeks. Make sure you obey me real well, and if you earn this many merit points, then I'll bless you. Um, it was conditioned on perfect obedience that this blessing would continue, but from the very beginning, he creates man and he blesses man. He had already, of course, filled the earth with good things for man. He was a generous God and a good God. It was uh, conditional, but it was there from the beginning. Uh, fruitfulness, dominion, the riches of all the earth, all of this was by the blessing of God, and man was in God's favor. God was not begrudging. He was not uh, stingy. But mankind rejected that generous God and rebelled. And so we know that man fell from that estate. There is, in this fallen estate, the corruption of sin that affects this creation mandate work, the corruption of sin. There is then the curse for sin. And if we're continuing with all C's, there's also common grace, corruption, curse, and common grace. Mankind's uh, reproductive and cultural work got hijacked and corrupted by sin. Mankind's now born as a defaced image of God, uh, corrupted uh, with a corrupted nature, and uh, now does his work not to God's glory, and often in ways that are sinful. And then there is also the fact that man's life and work is cursed uh, for sin, that this work is difficult, it's it's. Uh, challenging. There are hindrances in, in its way uh, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. We, in fact, return to the dust which we ought to subdue as we die. And then, even in the curse, though, there is temporary restraint. God does not fire them from their jobs right away. He does not return them to the dust right away, as they well deserved. But it's till you return to the ground that there will be these difficulties. 
But there is common grace to all. I refer to it as common grace because it is common to both believers and unbelievers, that uh, it is not a saving grace, but it is a generosity that God gives the sun and the rain and the food and filling the hearts with gladness to all, giving um, the ability for the human race to propagate itself and to be productive and to make good things, albeit with more pain and difficulty. And then finally, there is redemption. Genesis 3 also includes the promise of salvation. In the covenant of grace, the power of sin is destroyed uh, so that more and more we'd be able to, in fact, live to the glory of God. Blessing is again pronounced instead of curse, man in God's favor again, by His grace. And the effects of the curse that pain and difficulty and even death itself, they become temporary, not the blessings. The, the difficulty becomes temporary, and it gets turned into your discipline and even unto your good rather than a curse for sin. And so work is, again, under grace, more and more done to God's glory, according to His Word, under His blessing. His gifts are, again, received by believers with gratitude and love, And thus, the commission that mankind was given is able to be uh, fulfilled in the way it was intended to be, more and more due to His grace. Just as sin distorted but did not destroy God's image, uh, man being God's image, so it also distorted but did not destroy this creation mandate. And just as God's grace restores us to that true image and likeness of God, so it restores us to a proper fulfillment of this mandate. And notice that these themes introduced in verse 28, themes like God's blessing, offspring, land, worldwide expansion, these are going to show up throughout Genesis. This is going to show up throughout the Bible. If you look at the promises given to Abraham, what, what does God talk about? He talks about God's blessing and offspring and land and the world. These are going to be themes both in creation, in fall, and in redemption. In fact, Jesus is the last Adam. He now has all dominion and authority. He leads the race of the last Adam, that would be us, his people, into its calling under God. He makes us sons of God restored to our calling as his image. In fact, you can think of the church as a whole as the bride of Christ. What's a wife supposed to do? Is to be a help, helper fit for her husband. The church is a helper fit for Christ, participating in his work of multiplication and dominion to fill the earth with God's glory. Your earthly work is no longer, as it once was under sin, a vain task for selfish and fleeting ends, but it's a calling that you fulfill as a servant of Christ to the glory of of God. And as the kingdom expands, the work and glory and cultural products of the nations, as well as their people, are reformed and reclaimed from the service of sin and brought into the service of God. And so this, this passage introduces us into the grand narrative of God's work in human history. And as it comes to us now on this side of the cross, uh, it is still relevant for you because this is what we are being called back to, restored to, as we serve our God and our Redeemer. So then to break this commission down, first we ought to fill the earth to God's glory. We ought to 
subdue the earth to God's glory, and we ought to enjoy the earth to God's glory. So first, you ought to fill the earth to God's glory. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. All right, so let's just start with the basic literal meaning here, general meaning. Have children. Uh, Bear and beget children. Fill the earth with people. And not only produce them, but raise them up to maturity. You know, that's part of the process, too. We want more people like Adam and Eve, people that uh, might participate in this mission, who will then be able to subdue the earth and fill its ranks. This is a call to have children, to raise them, to educate them, to equip them. And remember what verses 26 and 27 have said about these people we're filling the earth with. Who, who, what are they? They are the image of God. We ought to fill the earth with God's image. Fill the earth with his representative. In other words, this command is a way of spreading God's glory throughout the earth with beings who will uh, resemble his knowledge and righteousness and holiness and dominion. And so, to make that more practical, it means to raise up children who will represent and resemble God, to raise up godly offspring to those who will live to the glory of God. Now, the call to be fruitful and multiply rests on God's creation of man as male and female, uh, the divinely designed institution of marriage, which we'll learn more about in chapter 2. We find here that one basic purpose of marriage is reproduction, the raising of children who will fill the earth and subdue it under God. As it's written in Malachi 2, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. It's one reason to get married. It's one end to be sought in marriage. Marriage is formed, of course, not only with this part of the commission in mind, with the whole commission in mind, and to increase and to subdue the earth, both for uh, increase as well as mutual help uh, of one another in this work. And the goals are related. Increase... In order, to, in order to subdue the earth. You need more people to do this work. And also to work, in part, to feed the people, <laughs> to, to support uh, the people that you've just produced. We learn from this passage that marriage is not just about you. It's not even just about your spouse. It's uh, about serving a bigger cause, of the creation mandate, together, to the glory of God. And often as that's lost, we start to have problems as it's all about me and my needs. We're expecting the other person to fulfill all of yours. All humanity, even those who are not married, has a part to play in this work, uh, but marriages are vital for its fulfillment. Um, And it is vital for marriages. When a couple intentionally uh, chooses childlessness, they're forsaking this blessing of God and this responsibility from God. Mankind is told to be fruitful and to multiply. It's a blessing for the womb to be fruitful. Children are a blessing, a gift of God, to be sought out and gratefully received as such. Children are to be sought out through marriage. And to be prized, to be, as we say these days, normalized. It's a word that people like to say. Let's normalize children. Children are not an exception. They're not a, an accessory. You might 
go out and, oh, maybe I'll have one. Um, it's not a mere lifestyle choice. Now, certainly, uh, in the world we live on, on this side of the fall, there are instances of those who are unable to have children. You know, so that's certainly part of the reality that we live in. Certainly, some people will not need to get married, being specially gifted for singleness. But the normal expectation, even on this side of the fall, especially for younger adults, is as Paul describes it in 1 Timothy 5.14. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Not only is this a responsibility, but it also ought to be an encouragement for those who are doing this work. Your work is a calling from God. When done for God with faith in Christ, you can be assured that your work is pleasing to God. This is a calling God appointed and approves of. As Martin Luther said of marriage and of parenthood, he said, How can the heart have greater good, joy, and delight than in God when, in one, when one is certain that his estate and conduct and work is pleasing to God. So it ought to be an encouragement as well. This is something God has instituted, something that he is pleased with. We also find from chapter 2 that all of this commission is initially given to two people, to, to Adam and Eve. Uh, But by uniting in marriage and multiplying, they would create a family, and that family would create families and cousins and kinship networks like clans, as well as then cities who dwell together and nations. The whole process was part of their calling and still the work of mankind to form marriages and societies, uh, to seek the well-being of others, to be faithful to your obligations to them. The creation of society is part of mankind's work. And society still depends on the family. It's fruitfulness, it's mutual obligations, it's extended relations. Uh, You can think of the story of Ruth that we looked at earlier. Um, This is all the more true now because of the introduction of death and tragedy, that we need each other. And in the present age, you face a challenge when it comes to raising children. Obviously, right? Sin has hijacked the process. Man is born with a nature corrupted by sin. Man is still God's image, worthy of respect, but he's a defaced image, a rebellious one, looks more like the devil than God. Apart from grace, mankind fills the earth with violence and immorality and pride. He still fills it, but not well. Yet in the covenant of grace, God determines to use the same process that was originally intended for good, for the raising up of covenant heirs, of those who would fill the earth with his glory. And we can raise our children then with that hope that they too will be those who will succeed us uh, to carry on this faith as uh, they embrace it, the faith of their fathers. Your call is to fill the earth with renewed images of God through raising up godly offspring, as well as now through evangelism, evangelism of the nations, to fill the earth with renewed images of God through that way as well, who then, of course, then um, will also generally have children and raise up them, as both of these being engines by which the earth is filled 
with those who will glorify God. So first of all, fill the earth to God's glory. Second of all, subdue the earth to God's glory. Adam and Eve were not created simply to lounge around the garden uh, with grapes just falling into their mouths, doing nothing forever uh, in an unchanging primitive condition. It's not, that might be the popular image you see in a lot of uh, arts and uh, portrayals, but that's not correct. Uh, They were commissioned to manage and develop the earth, do so in a growing and increasingly complex society. God did not create an unchanging static order that would never change, uh, but designed it with potential and room for growth and development. Mankind is created to subdue the earth and have dominion over the creatures as the image of God. You are called to be like your God, a sub-creator, a vice-regent, one who imitates God by ruling on his behalf over the world that he has made. To subdue the earth here means to to cultivate it, to develop it, uh, to, to rule over it in a good way. And God is our model. What does it mean to subdue the earth? Well, let's look to what God has done. Look to what he had done in those six days already. He had begun to cultivate and to develop his earth. He had been forming it and filling it, separating things, fitting things together, naming things. In this way, he gave mankind a model. God in his work demonstrated wisdom. He demonstrated the use of power, use of, of uh, being, uh, demonstrating his goodness, making things in a glorious manner. And so continue the work of God and wisdom and power and goodness and glory. Imitate the Creator by working with wisdom, you know, understanding things, gaining knowledge, so that you might solve problems and invent things and design things and fit the means to good ends and uh, be able to uh, work in this world with wisdom and to build. Imitate the Creator by using your power, both to produce benefit and beauty. Consider how God made the world. He made it in a way that is good for you and a way that is beautiful and glorious. He made food. He could have just given you one food and and it tasted the same and it could have fueled you for life. But no, he created it both useful and beautiful in a way that tastes good. Um, So imitate your God by gaining power and skill and applying it as God made things good for you and for glory, so make things for the good of others and for glory and beauty. Aim to produce things useful and things delightful to others. Imitate the God of providence as God sustains the earth, continues to feed the animals, continues to feed you, to sustain things from going back into the chaos that he first created. Imitate him by being good stewards of the earth, by uh, taking care of its creatures, its resources, its humanity. As he shows mercy to all the things he has made, so show mercy to the things you are stewards of. And so imitate the Creator by protecting, by providing, by producing, uh, presiding over His creation. And so from the raw materials, build civilization. Bring the pure wilderness under management. Expand the garden. 
The work is wide. It requires all of us. No one person is able to do it all. It requires different gifts and skills to serve the Lord through science, through language arts, through visual arts and musical arts and technology, construction, mining, mechanics, agriculture, textiles, food production, industry, education, finance, the list could go on, of course. Every field of, every lawful field of human endeavor exists to glorify God and ought to be done for His glory as we subdue the earth as His image. Serve Him in your work. It's not merely something you have to do begrudgingly, but do so cheerfully as a service unto God, as something He has called you to. Today, human culture uh, reflects both the goodness of creation and the corruption of sin. The Tower of Babel was no doubt beautiful architecture, um, but it was done to rebel against God and to manifest man's pride. Uh, Lamech, uh, in the early chapters of Genesis, was a poet, but he used his poetry to boast of violence and polygamy. Is architecture and poetry bad? No, no, but they can be used in the service of evil. So don't abandon culture uh, or earthly work because some abuse it, but unlike rebellious man, do your work in obedience to God, uh, as his, uh, work as his servant, as a faithful delegate of God. Fallen man does produce some good things through God's common grace, and that accomplishment is empty for them while they are still in their rebellion against their Creator. But for you, skills and products can be reclaimed for the service of God as they were in the Old Testament, in, in the Bible. As the nations are evangelized and discipled, they will bring their cultures and efforts into the service of God. By the light of the city of God will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, reformed and sanctified by grace. That's the vision that we see in Revelation 21. And so engaging in culture today uh, takes wisdom, not merely rejecting everything, not merely accepting everything, uh, but discerning uh, a discerning use of it, a careful reform of it, and an intentional production of it. So, so, so subdue, subdue the earth, to God's glory. And finally, last point here, enjoy the earth to God's glory. Did you see that one coming? Enjoy the earth to God's glory. Notice how God goes on to say, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. Mankind was richly supplied. All of this already created for man. The earth was ready for him. God gave him an abundant diversity of foods from plants and trees. Not only were there foods ready to eat, like apples just sitting there for them to bite into, but there were other foods with hidden potential that could be drawn out through the process of food preparation and cooking. A nearly infinite number of dishes was ready for mankind to enjoy. Also, man could see the mercy of God in his provision for the animals. And he could be grateful that he himself was not given as a provision for the animals, uh, that the animals were given plants to eat. It seems that 
animals themselves were not given as food until after the flood. Seems to imply even animal death was not a part of God's original creation. Uh, At least the first reference of the death of an animal is when God clothes the sinners of Adam and Eve with the skins of animals. Plant food, then, is a basic food given to you and the animal should be received with thanksgiving and gratitude, although today we are also able to eat meat. So food and drink here are examples of the many gifts that God gives to you to enjoy, uh, to fill your hearts with gladness and to strengthen you. So uh, enjoy the gifts of the Creator. But, of course, sin corrupts these good gifts as well and our use of them, just like all these other things we've seen. And so it's important to enjoy them responsibly. Don't be an ungrateful ascetic that just frowns on any bit of enjoyment. You know, don't, don't have any fun um, or, or enjoy anything too much or, or at all. But don't be a glutton and drunkard that is carried away by it either. So let me break it down to, to three directions that we have. First of all, use it properly in accordance with their purposes, not abusing them. God made them for good, so don't use them for ill. Psalm 104 talks about how uh, God gave plants for man to cultivate, that he might bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, bread to strengthen man's heart. You know, these are good purposes that he made them for, and that's how we should use them. As John Calvin says, let this be our principle, that we err not in the use of the gifts of providence uh, when we refer them to the end for which their author made them, what he designed them for since he created them for our good and not our destruction. What the early church father Chrysostom said about wine could be applied to a lot of other gifts. He said, uh, wine was given that we might be cheerful, not that we might behave unseemly, that we might laugh, not that we might be a laughingstock, that we might be healthful, not that we might be diseased, that we might correct the weaknesses of the body, not cast down the might of the soul. And notice to use something properly implies design that there was an intention behind it, that God has designed the world, we're obligated to live according to his design. Sexual union is another good thing which God has made, which is intended to be enjoyed and used properly according to his design in marriage. God's law, which of course is our guide, is not arbitrary, but in accord with his created design. Second point is to, to enjoy these things generously, to be ready to share, to enjoy them with others, not with greed. As Paul told Timothy to charge the rich, he said, as for the rich in this present age, and of course in our modern society, maybe compared to people of Timothy's day, a lot of people were all pretty well off compared to them. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and ready to share. And thirdly, enjoy them gratefully. Give thanks to God. That's why I read the First Timothy 4 for our New Testament reading. Some people would want to forbid marriage and foods God created to be received But how did God create them to be received? He created them to be received with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For it's created to be, it's good. 
and nothing is to be rejected if, if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. There's still conditions there, uh, but it is good and to be received with thanksgiving. Those who believe and know the truth can enjoy God's gifts, gifts in good conscience. You're no longer outlaws on God's earth, uh, but you are heirs of the world and children of the Heavenly Father. John Calvin, the Protestant reformer, put it this way, And which of us would venture to claim for himself a single grain of wheat if he were not taught by the word of God that he is heir of the world? Common sense, indeed, pronounces that the wealth of the world is naturally intended for our use, But since dominion over the world was taken from us in Adam, everything we touch, the gifts of God, is defiled by our pollution. And on the other hand, it is unclean to us till God graciously comes to our aid by engrafting us into his Son, constitutes us anew to be lords of the world that we might lawfully use as our own all the wealth with which he supplies us. We can receive these things in good conscience as the gifts of our Father, which, which properly belong to us now to be received with thanksgiving. And thanksgiving is, is a guide which helps direct us from bad uses. I mean, can you be grateful to God while you stupefy yourself by an excessive uh, use of these things so that you're no longer able to, to uh, be pious, uh, to, to be uh, grateful, to be righteous? Can you be grateful to God while you use them to exalt yourself and pride and vanity? Is that doing them to the glory of God? Or to be thankful? Can you be grateful for them while you so indulge in them that you become insensible to the God who gave them? Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And so let that guide you in your use of good things. Final point on this enjoyment is that enjoyment itself, the ability to enjoy these things, is ultimately a gift of God to those who fear Him. It's something that we of all people ought to have and have by His grace. Ecclesiastes 5 talks about, well, Ecclesiastes in general talks about the futility and ultimately the emptiness of this world and its gifts, especially for those who are without God. But in chapter 5, 18 through 19, he says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and to rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. So find enjoyment in his gifts. Find enjoyment even in your work. Uh, Do not frustrate yourself by idolizing them, setting your hopes on them. They will disappoint you. But rather fear and love God, trusting in him, for he's the one who gives peace and joy. Receive them as gifts of your loving Father. Well, finally, in conclusion, look at the last verse. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. God had brought the heavens and the earth into existence, and he had finished them. They're no longer formless, they're no longer void, they're no longer dark. He had given it light and formed it and filled it. He had divided, he had united, he had named, he had approved of his work, and he had set man, male and female, over the works of his hands, installing mankind as his image in this office to continue this work unto his glory. And behold, 
It was very good. In six days, God had finished the heavens and the earth and all their host. The goodness of God still shines in creation despite man's sin, and it especially shines in the salvation of man and his restoration of you to his service. So as the image of God, as those being renewed after his image, joyfully work on this calling, delighting in his blessing, his blessing now in Christ. Fill the earth to God's glory. Subdue the earth to God's glory. And enjoy the earth to God's glory. In this way, glorify and enjoy God, fulfilling your chief and greatest end. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for blessing us, for entrusting us with this responsibility. We pray that you indeed would bless the work of our hands, that you would bless our labors, that you would uh, bless the raising of uh, children to uh, walk in your ways and to, like uh, us, to uh, walk as disciples of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would uh, multiply the people of your church through Uh, this discipleship and through evangelism of the lost, and that uh, through our labors that work would be done to your glory, and that your glory would fill the earth, and that you would be glorified and magnified by mankind once again through your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This we pray in his name. Amen.